Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. We've got another hand in here this morning. Amen. God is good and God is great and um, so glad that we are worshiping together. Um, I want to welcome you again. You've already been uh, welcomed by Pastor Jonathan, but I want to welcome you again. My name is Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at Refresh Community Church, and I am just so glad and so grateful uh, that you are here worshiping with us. So many places you could have been, um, but you have chosen to worship here with us, whether that is here in our sanctuary or whether you're on YouTube or Facebook Live, so glad that you are hanging out with us today. And today is my absolute favorite day in the Christian calendar. And I know you're like, it's not Christmas yet. It's not Easter. What's today? It's baptism day. That's right. That's right. And we got, we, uh, we actually have baptized. Uh, we will be baptizing. We'll be baptizing five at this service. We already baptized two at the 9 a.m. service. So seven baptisms today. So the Lord is good. Yes, so we're excited today to welcome to the waters of baptism, Brother Elijah Nichols, Jordan Allen, Sister Amira Fairley, Oliver, and Blake Rivers today. So it is going to be a great service. So looking forward to, to baptizing, but there is a word from the Lord. So if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6. And we've been walking through this series on the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes. Pastor Kyle wrapped up the Beatitudes last week. Didn't Kyle do a phenomenal job uh, last week preaching the word? And so um, we've wrapped up the Beatitudes. And today um, we have the passage that none of the pastors wanted to preach. Um, and that's on the, seven, on the four woes. Uh, so y'all got the blessings from Pastor Kyle last week. And I'm coming today with four woes of judgment. So if we were standing today in honor of God's word. And we're actually going to start at uh, verse 20 because the woes are a uh, counterpoint um, to the blessings in the Beatitudes. So we're going to start at verse 20. We're going to read down to verse 26, but I'm going to be preaching from verses 24 through 26. Here's the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And these are the verses we'll focus on today in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we thank you for your words of blessing, and God, we also thank you for your words of warning and judgment. 
Father, I pray that you will be with us today, God, as we look to your word. God, I pray that you would lift our hearts, God, that you would convict us, that you would transform us, God, and yes, even rebuke us in your love. God, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I want to lift for a thought for just a few minutes here, a warning for the spiritually nearsighted. A warning for the spiritually nearsighted. Um, I spent most of my life not wearing glasses. Um, the majority of my life, the first, at least good first half of it, um, I didn't wear glasses. Um, and this all changed one day when I was driving home. I was driving home late at night in the rain, and as I was driving, coming home, I recognized all of a sudden that the white lines on the road vanished. Poof, they were gone. I could see nothing. And I was like, wow, that is wild. I cannot see the lines on the road. Um, the reason why I didn't get into an accident um, or have any, you know, anything uh, happen uh, was multifaceted. One was that this was a street I had uh, driven up and down, walked up and down, caught the bus up and down my whole life. So I was in my hometown, Detroit, so I knew this road very well. I knew every pothole in this road. And if you're from Michigan, lots of those to go around. But I knew exactly where I was going, so I wasn't uh, worried about it. Uh, but also, another reason why I was able to make it home, because there was a couple um, of taillights in front of me, and so I just followed the little red dots all the way, uh, so I knew where to keep my car as I drove. Um, and so I got home, talked to my grandmother about this, and she's like, hey, you probably might want to make yourself an eye appointment. So that's what I did. I went, made myself an eye appointment at the mall, went in and got, got my glasses fixed up, and the optometrist said, well, sir, I got news for you. You're nearsighted. And I said, what does that mean? Because I can see things that are near to me just fine. And she says, that's exactly what it means. But you can't see stuff that's far from you. And so you are going to need glasses, my friend. You're going to need to get you some glasses so that you can see properly. And when she did the little, you know, they do, I still don't really know how that worked. And they, you know, do the little thing. And when she took it away, I was like, wow, I thought this is just how Earth looked. I didn't realize. Um, <laughs> That, that people got bigger and smaller. I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And she said, you know, there was an easier way for you to have figured this out other than almost getting yourself in a car accident. And I said, what was that? She said, you could have just came and got an exam in the first place. You're 20 years old. There's no reason you shouldn't have had an eye exam by now. And I realized in that moment that she was absolutely right, that I did not have to find out through the hard knocks of life that I was in fact nearsighted, that I had an issue with seeing things that were far away and that that could pose me a danger. And today, I'm here to tell you, especially as we read words of woe and judgment and impending doom, and let me be clear, I'm not going to take the edges off of it, that is exactly what woe means. Jesus is coming in this passage with judgment, with impending doom, letting you know that the jig is up on matters of oppression and forgetfulness about those who are most vulnerable, and he's really clear about it that God will not tolerate it. But I am here to tell you that if you are hearing this message in the land of the living, and you are sitting here, that means that you are, or if you are listening at home, it means that you are already a recipient of God's grace. Because God is giving these woes, these warnings, as a diagnostic exam to help you see where your focus lies. What I want us to wrestle with as we listen to this passage and listen to this message is 
where are we spiritually nearsighted? Where is it that we can see clearly the things that are right in front of us, the most immediate matters in life? We can give attention to the things such as our current riches, our current status, our current way of living, but where are the places where we cannot see the eternal value that God has placed on things? I'm here to tell you that the world is excellent at helping us to maintain our spiritual nearsightedness. The world encourages us just to see things as they are, just to see things that are right in front of our face, just to take uh, uh, care for our riches and for our fullness and for our laughter now without considering the eternal ramifications that are before us. But Jesus comes to us in this passage and will not allow us to simply focus out there or, or focus right what is in front of us, but cause us to focus on what is eternally relevant. And so he comes to us here with four woes that are counterpoints to the four blessings that we have heard about. And let's be clear, um, people often like Jesus when he's talking about blessings. We like anybody when they're talking about blessings. Hey, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed, 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 blessed. We're good with just Jesus. But this Jesus of judgment, doom, and all of these things, we don't like to talk about him. He is like the Jesus that we keep in a base and we just slide his food under the door. We don't paint pictures of this Jesus. We don't talk about this Jesus. He's like that family member that we know he's there, but we just don't bring him up a lot. But Jesus will not allow us to just let him be the awkward uncle in the basement. This Jesus, who not only speaks blessing, but also judgment, decides to come out of the basement. Yes, people don't like this Jesus. When's the last time? Think about it for a moment. When's the last time you've seen a picture of Jesus flipping over tables? Probably not often. We, we don't paint pictures of him. We like, um, let me choose my words carefully here. We like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We don't like judgment preaching Jesus. In fact, I would argue that we have done to Jesus the same things that we have done to giant dogs and cats. We have domesticated them. You see, some 10,000 years ago, people found a really friendly lion and another really friendly lion or big cat, and they just started breeding them, and they kept on doing that until now you have little kittens that you can carry around with you, and every now and then that old nature comes out because cats ain't all that friendly a lot of times, I don't think, you know. We did the same thing. We got ahead of it with the wolves. 15,000 years ago, somebody found a couple of really friendly wolves and dogs, and they just said, hey, y'all should get together and start a family. And then they just did it several thousand more times, and now we got wolves that we can fit in a Louis Vuitton bag and take shopping with us. We, we have domesticated and we inbred them to make them exactly how we want them. And what I would suggest to you is that we have done the same thing with Jesus for the last two 2,000 years. We have committed and domesticated ourselves to Jesus that fits nicely on our memes. He fits nicely in our tweets. He fits not. In fact, this Jesus, let me tell y'all how we have domesticated this Jesus. This Jesus likes all the same people that we like. This Jesus votes exactly how we vote. This Jesus sides with us on every issue. This Jesus never pushes against our thoughts and our issues. But this Jesus right here in the Gospel of Luke decides that I'm not going to be your domesticated savior, that I'm going to be Lord over all and speak in every area of your life. And so 
In this text, we see undomesticated Jesus. And what's fascinating, I've said this to you many times, but I want it to inform how you read and understand your Bible. Not only are the words of Scripture inspired, but even the structure of Scripture is inspired. And if you look at the text carefully, it's fascinating the way this is arranged here. You have the four blessings of the Beatitudes before this passage of woe and judgment. But then right after it, you have this passage that we all love. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And so in between, sandwiched between blessing and love is judgment. Why is that the arrangement of this passage? I will submit to you two reasons why the four woes are juxtaposed between blessings and love. Here's the first reason. I would argue that you cannot have love in an imperfect world without justice. You can't have true love in an imperfect fallen world that we live in without justice. And what this passage points to is that those things that are broken, unjust, oppressive, and damaging to image bearers in this world, God is not just going to let slide. In fact, those things that are broken and fallible and are oppressive, God is bound and dutifully bound by his love to make them right. So true love is not only hoping that things get better, but Jesus actually making them right. The Bible says that the judge of all the universe, that's Jesus Christ, he will do what is right. And what that means is that it's making sure that the valleys are exalted and every mountain is made low and the crooked places are made straight and that the matters of justice and righteousness are addressed uh, because God has made this universe in such a manner that those things that are incorrect must be corrected in order not only for his love to stand before his justice. And so that's one reason why I think this is juxtaposed here. But here's the other reason why I think it's important that these things are here. I believe that as we look at these four woes, we have to remember who Jesus is talking to. He is talking to a group of people who are gathered saying that they want to follow him, saying that they want to be his disciples, saying that they want to follow after him. And he is letting them know that those who follow him cannot be entangled with seeing this world the same way as those who are outside of his kingdom sees it. You see, Jesus is putting before these people the kingdom of God. This is a kingdom manifesto. And so he is saying that those of us who will follow after him, not only is he warning those who are outside of his kingdom about his judgment and about his sure to come uh, fixing of the broken order of this world, but he is also warning those of us who would follow after him not to get caught up in the fixing of it by patterning ourselves after this world. And so ultimately... What Jesus, who he is speaking to, these are not four different groups of people. This is one group of people, and who it is is the spiritually nearsighted. It's those who, in the course of their life, focus too much on the world that is at the expense of the world to come. And what he is saying to us as his people, as those who say we love Jesus, as those who call ourselves the church of Jesus Christ, to not get caught up with them. And so... I'm just going to look, I'm going to walk right through these four and look at what Jesus is seeking to teach us about those who are spiritually nearsighted. And here's my prayer, uh, is that as we walk through these texts, that you won't just start pointing at other folks that you're playing like, yeah, that's a shame how spiritually nearsighted those people are. But I would just pray that you would strap on those self-introspective glasses and see where you yourself are spiritually nearsighted and focus on the here and now to the expense of the eternal. 
Because I guarantee you, and it's true for me all the way to the black back pew, all of us got areas of our life where we are focusing too much on the here and now at the expense of the eternal. And so, here's the first thing I think as we look at this spiritual eye exam, so to speak, that Jesus gives us. The first thing I see here is that the spiritually nearsighted, according to Jesus, they focus on earthly riches while ignoring eternal wealth. Look at verse 24. It says, woe. Woe means judgment, doom, impending uh, destruction is upon you. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation or your comfort. Jesus warns those who are wealthy now that they have already gotten the comfort and consolation that they are going to get. And let me help you with who the rich are real quick. Because I know some of us are probably like, well, good thing sounds like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos really got it coming. And so we, we have already dismissed ourselves from this whole sermon point. But let me help you out, middle class, American, Western, Christian, that in the grand scheme of earth, in the history of human, in, in the past of human history, that is us. If, if, you are, if you are in this room and you got up and had a choice of what you was going to put on, had a choice of what you're going to eat, drove here, Lord forbid, drove here and put some of that $18 a gallon gas in your car, you are the rich, okay? We are the 1%. And Jesus warns those who are wealthy now, says you have gotten all that you're going to get. Now, if we take all of this whole sweeping scripture into, into consideration, is Jesus here just speaking like if your bank account got a certain amount of zeros, that means you're wicked? Not necessarily. But what it does teach us, and the Bible is clear from Genesis to Revelation, that wealth is more dangerous spiritually than poverty is. It's a fact. That the more wealth we have, the more susceptible we are to the trappings of thinking we don't need God anymore. And I ain't got to tell you that just because you may not have hit the Powerball this week, that when we can go into our own cul-de-sac in our suburban home, close down our garage and live at peace where we want, when we want, when we feel like it, it is easy peasy for us to think that we don't need God no more. Some of us messed around and hit five figures and think we don't need Jesus anymore. And that's exactly... What this text is speaking to is not so much about the amount in the bank, but it's the heart posture towards riches that says that I don't need God because I got it on lock and money becomes our God. And all of us know people that maybe have more or less zeros where money is their God. And here's what is terrifying about this passage. Jesus says if what your focus is, what your desire is in this world, if all you wake up and think about is how you're going to get more money and how you're going to get more wealth and more material goods, look at what Jesus says, you can have it. Oh, it's terrifying. He says, you want this world? You can have it. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received. That means you. the, the, the sense of the word is that you got it and you can keep on getting it. Go ahead, keep on getting it. But that's all you're going to get. Now, I'm teaching a series through Romans on Wednesday nights, and I'm going, we just went through Romans chapter 1, and we talked about how the most frightening aspect of God's judgment is not when God is wrestling with you, when God is convicting you, when God is pulling on you, when you're crying tears of repentance. That's not fearful. What's fearful is when Jesus says, go on ahead and do what you want. It's when God gives you up to your own pursuit. It's when God gives you up to your own greed. It's when God gives you up to your own materialism. And Jesus says here, if your fulfillment is in the things of this world and the riches of this world, you can have it, but that is all you're going to get. 
and he says, it's like putting all your money into a depreciating aspect by the, uh, asset. By the time you get old enough to retire, when you stand before the Bema seat of Christ, it will have no value and you're going to experience eternal judgment. He says, you can put all of your trust there, but it's a terrible investment strategy. I think the old folks had it much better when they said, time is filled with swift transitions. Not if this earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. I'm here to tell you that depending on what happens in this world, your net worth can fluctuate and go up and down. But the value of the blood of Jesus Christ is absolutely immovable. Build your hopes on things eternal. But not only does Jesus say that the spiritually nearsighted focus on earthly riches to the exclusion of earthly eternal wealth, but he also says that the spiritually nearsighted focus on temporal fullness, fullness while ignoring eternal satisfaction. Look at verse 25, the first part of it. it. says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. This is connected to those who are focused on rich people or the riches above. Uh, the reality is folks don't be rich and hungry, okay? That's, the two go together. These two are connected. And, and I'm going to be honest, like I know if I was rich, I, show, I, ain't, I ain't hungry now. And I show wouldn't be if I was rich, rich. Like if I hadn't hit that 1.5 billion, listen, I'm going tell you all the truth. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. If I became a billionaire, it wouldn't be obvious. Like, you wouldn't see me coming in here with a bunch of diamonds and jewelry. That stuff holds no value to me. I wear the fake stuff. I don't care. Not going to have a bunch of kids in Africa going into mines so I can shine. I can get lab-made diamonds to do the same thing. Not going to do that. But there will be signs. If I ever hit the Powerball or just have a nice multi-million dollar deal come through, y'all will know it. Now, it'll be subtle because y'all will hear that a large swath of land has been purchased in the U-City area and, and, and houses built on this large swath of land and into these houses. I think I told y'all this before, but I'm telling you to hold me accountable. I don't know how you're going to stop me, but I, if I get some money, I'm going to do it. <laughs> large swath of land. And a little village has been built. And in this village is a bunch of grandmas from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people <laughs> under the heavens. And, 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 and they have every expense and have a stipend and they're doing good. They're, they're black and they're white and they're Latino and they're Middle Eastern and they're from Eastern Europe. And all they do is cook all day and they just cook. And it's just this pastor to just pick up a plate for every meal from every nation. That's what he does. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is that this is not a joke. Like, I will absolutely do this. Like, I've been talking to my, I'm trying to figure out, talking to my pastors, make sure this is moral. I just won't, hey, I make sure it's a whole house. So they, they ain't got to be split up for their families. All they do is cook, just fire food from every country. And I just pick up my plate. They can leave it on the porch. Thank you. I drive off. But what this is, <laughs> this is a message about judgment. But anyway, get back to the judgment now. But but the point is here is that those of us who have wealth in this world is easy to think that the things of this world and the desires of our heart can actually fill us. And Jesus says the same thing here, that if you are full now, if you lack hunger now, and this isn't just about food here, this is about the desires and the appetites of our flesh. He says, if you find yourself being filled by the things that are here now, you're going to be hungry eternally. 
He says, woe to you who are full now, who is satisfied with this world because you think this world has everything that you need. And what Jesus says is that here is the truth. I am the bread of life. I am the only one who can fill you eternally. I am the water of life. I'm the only one who can quench the thirst of your spirit. But if you give yourself to fulfilling the appetites of the flesh here now, I'm here to tell you that when you stand before me and your eternity is in question, you're going to come up hungry and empty. So what Jesus suggests here is why don't you just eat what I cooked? What, what Jesus says is that I have prepared manna from heaven and these things in this world won't satisfy you. You keep trying it. You keep doing it over and over again. I preached a whole sermon about this last week. You can go and listen to it. I'm just repeating myself. Those things won't satisfy you. So eat the meal that Jesus cooked. And what Jesus gives is his body and his blood, his sacrifice that is able to fill the God-shaped hole that is in your heart. And Jesus says that if you reject the meal that I have for you, like my grandma used to say, I already cooked. And if you don't like what I cook, you can just be hungry. But it's a choice. Jesus says, woe to you. If your fulfillment is coming from what is only earthly, that your temporal fullness will not translate into eternal satisfaction. But that's not the only thing, he says. Jesus shows us in verse, the second part of verse 25b that the spiritually nearsighted not only focus on earthly riches at the expense of eternal, they focus on temporal fullness at the expense of eternal satisfaction, but they laugh now while ignoring eternal joy. Look at this. It says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Jesus, are you saying I I can't be happy? I can't have joy? That's not what he is saying here. What he is speaking about here are those who laugh and triumph over God's plan. These are the folks who laugh because it seems they have gotten the last laugh. They've outsmarted other people. They've outsmarted the poor, the dull, the silly. They have outsmarted them, and ultimately they have outsmarted God. This picture is those who laugh and triumph over justice. It's those who say that I can oppress the poor. These are those who say that I can do trickery and get my wealth and my gain by trickery at the expense of those who are more vulnerable. These are those who say that through trickery and through sinful means. I can make wealth and hurt and harm other people and they think that they have gotten the last laugh and there will be no accountability for what they're done. But God says, you may laugh now, but you're going to mourn and you're going to weep. And I, I want to put a pin here real quick that some of us, we may not be the ones laughing now or we are, but I need you to know that God is going to hold those of us who are in places of influence and those who can impact uh, the world for good accountable. That we will not and those who are wicked won't get the last laugh, but God will. I'm absolutely convinced. I'm absolutely convinced. And, and you know, when I was, uh, when I, I remember coming up and there was a uh, scandal, some of y'all who are older may remember it, uh, the Enron scandal. Um, when this big company, through a whole lot of misdeeds, basically took the retirements of thousands of people and left them with nothing. And I'm convinced. Nobody can tell me different. If I was a betting man, I bet you a dollar there were some Christians who were in those boardrooms who said nothing. I I bet you there were some Christians who, even if they themselves did not have nefarious purposes, were quiet when nefarious purposes were devised. 
And I'm here to tell you that very few of us will do what I'm doing now. Very few of us will be in vocational Christian ministry where they are basically a professional Christian. I pray that God will multiply more, but just the way it works won't be as many. But all of us have jobs. All of us have careers. All of us have callings. Many of us own businesses. Many of us are in government. Many of us are in leadership. And we wield influence and we are adjacent to people with influence. And God says that we need to take the values of the kingdom into those places so that those who would laugh at God and laugh at the vulnerable are foiled when they come against the kingdom of Christ. You see, the Bible says, woe to you if you're laughing now because you're going to mourn and weep. The Bible teaches that God is so big that you can't get around him. He is so tall that you can't go over him. He is so deep that you can't get under him. And so because of this, your joy will be most fulfilled when you find your purposes in him, because at the end of the day, God is going to get the last laugh. Not the poor, or not not those who hate the poor, those who hate the vulnerable, but it's those who come alongside Christ. This is because, people of God, when we are coming to the scripture, we need to know that we are reading a book that is not written by those who do theology from above, from a place of privilege, from a place of power, but the Bible is an Eastern book written by those who have been oppressed, downtrodden, that is a book of protest literature and lament. This is why you have imprecatory psalms. They are written by people who were systematically oppressed by the, uh, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Greeks, and by the Romans, and that they put in this book cries to a God who would make the things that are broken right. And so if you have a dissonance with an oppressed people who are saying that we need a God who is going to make this crooked world right, what that betrays is that perhaps you are doing theology from above rather than theology from below. And so this text, it says, woe to you who laugh now. Because you're going to weep and mourn when Christ makes things right. And that is the kind of kingdom that Christ inaugurates. One that makes the crooked places straight. But we see in this text that the spiritually nearsighted, they focused on earthly riches while ignoring eternal wealth. That they focused on temporal fullness while ignoring eternal satisfaction. That they focus on laughing now instead of ignoring, and, and, and they ignore eternal joy. But lastly, they focus on man's approval while ignoring God's approval. Look at verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You know, here's the truth. We all want to be liked. We all want to people to speak well of us, and there's even a, a place for it. The Bible has actually a lot to say about reputation being better than gold. The Bible has even things to say about a pastor being someone that those who are outside of the church can speak well of. But this isn't talking about those matters. This is speaking to the willingness to compromise on what God says and what he has laid forth so that we can be approved of and liked by people. You see, there's a lot of temptation towards this. Some of us are going through this right now because some of us are scared to live the Christian life that we are called to live because we're scared of what folks are going to say. In fact, some of us are so scared to be called holy rollers. We want to show that Christians can have levity and have fun too. And we're, we're willing to do that at the expense of living the way God has called us to live. Can I share with you that it is not our primary job or calling to make sure that people think well of us and to compromise our Christian values and God's standard in the process, but our primary calling is to represent God as he is. And God is saying, listen, you don't have to pursue what uh, people speaking well of you at the expense of what I have to say. 
Because the, the truth of the matter is, folks are going to say all kinds of stuff anyway. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not suggesting you go out here and be like weird or be a jerk and then say, call it persecution. I'm not saying do any of that stuff. But I am saying that God has called us to uphold the standard. And in our culture today, it is very tempting to compromise our views on things like humanity and sexuality and what makes a person a person so that we don't be canceled. But I'm here to tell you that you cannot be canceled by God who shed his blood for you. You can't be canceled by the God who called you out to himself. And as Christians, we have to make sure that we are not giving in to the temptation to make sure that the culture plays nice with us. Because it's not, either way. Ask Jeremiah about this. The whole book of Jeremiah is about a prophet. You know, this, the book of Jeremiah just keeps my head super level about expectations in ministry. Because Jeremiah, written in the Bible, this dude preached for like his whole life and had two whole converts. His, his scribe, who helped write the book, Baruch, um, and I don't even know if Baruch actually liked him because he was paid. That was his job. So maybe he was just doing his job. Um, I mean, but Baruch, I think he did. Baruch, like, pinned a lot of stuff there. Uh, but you got Baruch and then an Ethiopian black dude named Ebed Melech, the only two people who listened to the prophet Jeremiah. And you want to know why? Because Jeremiah told the truth. You see, there were false prophets in Israel who told them that everything going to be all right. That the Lord is going to make a way out of no way. That God is okay with you worshiping Yahweh, Baal, Molech, Ashtaroth. Jesus, Yahweh ain't worried about none of that. Just come on in because Yahweh is open and accepting of all of these things. And Jeremiah said the judgment is impending and that there's a nation on the horizon who is going to conquer this people because we have become wicked. And they threw him in a pit and in a cistern and locked him up in jail. You see, when it comes to standing for truth, it's not always popular. But God says, listen. Your applause should not be coming from people. Your applause should come from me. And I can understand. I can even understand for those of us who may be the only Christians in our, in our families or in our friend, friend groups. It can be a lonely thing. When I first came to faith as a teenager, I was the only Christian in my immediate family. And so I went to church for years by myself as a teenager. Years. Went to church by myself. But through going to church by myself and just staying put, God revealed to me the power of his presence. He revealed that I actually didn't need anybody's affirmation as long as I had his affirmation. That as long as I had his presence that I could, uh, that I could trek through all the things that were going on. And then God gave me a bonus because I found this community of people called the church. That there were other believers in Jesus who loved him, who sacrificed for him, who pursued after him. And I found family in that place. But I can, I can relate. It can be hard. But Jesus says, woe to you if you are pursuing the approval of the people instead of the approval of God. You know, I was, um, I was uh, thinking about this recently, and uh, I, so I've kind of mentioned this before. Uh, you know, there's somebody who was really impactful on my life, and he taught me more about ministry uh, than, shoot, a lot of folks. And this guy actually had nothing to do with ministry. I've brought him up before, and he was uh, my teacher in conservatory, Dr. Hamilton Tescarolo. He was my piano uh, instructor. And this brother, um, he was the kindest, most gentle man, and I've never met anybody more intense and unrelenting in my life. Um, never heard him raise his voice, but he just had an intensity about discipline and commitment um, that to this day I still seek to live up to. Um, but when we had these things when I, I was uh, in music school, uh, they were called studio class. It was when all the piano majors, all the, whatever instruments you played, you had a studio class. But ours was for all the piano majors and all the different teachers and all their students. we come together once a week and we listen to one another's pieces. And um, This was a lot of fun because when you're at this level of playing, like everybody's pretty good. So everybody got something helpful to say. But 
as a rule, you know, we try to encourage one another, you know. Um, so, you know, I, w- I remember uh, we were getting ready for a recital, and I was playing this, uh, this uh, Beethoven situation. Um, I mean, the technical term is a sonata, but Beethoven situation. Uh, and so I was playing, and I just remember my teacher, his, his attention to detail. To this day, I've never met anybody with this level of meticulousness. And I would get up and play. They know your friends. They encourage you. Yeah, man, that's a good job. You know, give you a few pointers here and there. Um, Dr. Tuscarolo. His, you know, over in, in bar 32 at the second beat, your, your inflection was just off. And I'm like, bro, like, like you know, the, 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 way you, the way you phrased this, it was, it was just, it just wasn't right. You need to phrase it. I mean, his attention to detail, and you will feel good about yourself. And by the time he's done, you just walk away like, goodness gracious. Never yelled, very gentle man, very kind man, but unrelenting. But I had gone through a whole semester, three months of playing this piece in studio classes, and my friends are encouraging me, giving me pats on the back. Dr. Tuscarello just was never happy, ever. He just, I mean, in my lessons, he, I just like, bro, like, I just can't win with this guy. And he would just stand there, and he had a brick, a thick Brazilian accent. He was a Brazilian dude, and he would just, Carlos, this is, this is not it. This is, this, no, you must do. I'm like, God, man. Um, and so I remember it was the last studio class before the recital, and I'm just like, dude, just gonna have to be mad. Um, and... <laughs> I played, and I had worked all week on this piece. I'm talking, I took it apart, bar by bar, hours and hours and hours and hours of work. And I'm like, he's still not going to be happy. So I sat there, I played the whole shindig. And then uh, my friends, oh, Carlos, that was the best ever. And, you know, it's going to be all, oh, yeah, that was great. Can't wait to hear you play it live at the recital next week, blah, 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 blah. Dr. Tescarello, he sat back there with his, his head over his glasses. He looked, he looked at me, and I was, I was holding my breath. I'm like, what is this guy going to say? He looked at me, he said, Carlos. Very good, very good. <laughs> oh, man, the, the, I didn't care what nobody else said. The heavens opened up in that moment because Dr. Tescarolo, the master concert pianist, finally said, I did something good. And child of God, here's my point in saying that. It doesn't matter what the world say about you. It doesn't matter what your friends say about you. It doesn't matter what outsider says about you. What matters is when you stand before Christ is that he says, well done. That he says, well done, my good and my faithful servant. And that is what we pursue after, people of God. Christ saying, well done. It doesn't matter whether how much money we got, how much money we don't have. It doesn't matter whether we're full now or whether we're laughing. Now, Jesus says, when you stand before me, what matters is that I say, well done. Now, I know some of you are like, how do we get to that well done? How do we get to that very good? It comes through Jesus. It's only through Jesus, only through Jesus Christ, only through his finished work. You know, here's the truth of the matter. All of us fall short, every single one of us. If you were doing a self-assessment, the exam, I pray to God you saw areas that you fell short. Here's the reality. Welcome to the club. It's no shame. It's no guilt. The reason and the way we hear well done from the mouth of God is by putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ himself, His work, his blood, his sacrifice on the cross for us stands in for the ways that we fall short. Because I told you that God is, it's true, he's a God of justice, but he's a God of love. His justice said that sin, iniquity, injustice, and oppression had to be paid for. His love says, I don't want to punish these people who I made and who I love. So his love said that he would put on a body of flesh, that he would come down into this earth, that he would die a criminal's death, that he would raise on the third day, and that he would unite every man, woman, boy, and girl back to himself if they put their faith and their trust in him. You want to hear well done from God? It's not going to come from nothing in this world. It's going to come through faith 
in the finished work of Jesus. And so I invite you to put your faith in him so that you can experience eternal life. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you that you will say, well done. God, and all we got to do is trust in you. God, all of us, every one of us from the pulpit to the back pew, God, every single one of us, we all have a tendency to want to have our riches now, to be full now, to laugh now, to be accepted now. But God, I pray that our desire in our heart would not cause us to be nearsighted and only focus on now. But God, I pray that you will lift our eyes and focus us on the world to come. God, I pray that by faith in Jesus Christ, we will put faith in your finished work. And through the works of Jesus, the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that we will hear from you. Well done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, we're going to have a time of worship. I'm going to go and get changed, and those who are going to get baptized will get changed. But while we're getting changed and getting ready for baptism, there will be uh, brothers and sisters up here, our response team, who will be praying for you. And listen, I already told you, if you are looking at your life and you see the areas where you've been myopic and where you've been short-sighted, no shame, come to the cross because Jesus gave his life to bring you back to himself. And so if you got a burden that you need to lay down, there'll be brothers and sisters right here looking to pray with you and, and help you and walk with you and encourage you. Whatever you're carrying, you don't have to carry it alone. Let us come to the Lord in prayer at this time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.